0: Okay, thank you very much, uh, and thanks uh, everybody for coming to the final session of Learning Places Scotland 2021. I'm Diarmid from uh, Scottish Futures Trust, and, and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to to finish out and, and close the discussion. Um, a couple of things before we get started. The, f- the first thing is that uh, in in the in the times we're in, in the times we're in, just to extend huge thanks for everybody for coming for participating for exhibiting, for contributing, and for discussing. So huge thanks. And and also for the organisers and and James and, and everybody that's been part of it, and the government, just to kind of make it happen. So first bit, just to extend our huge grateful thanks to you. Second bit is that the purpose of this session is really about the four gentlemen that we have here. It's the learners, and the learners are going to lead this session. They're going to say, this is who we are. These are our experiences. And more crucially, this is what we want from you, us. So it's a kind of a a learner-led discussion. And I'm really delighted to welcome William, Jonathan, Gordon, and Ryan uh, from from West Calder High School, uh, who are gonna come and deliver their experiences. And then they're going to provide a presentation uh, and then that's going to be uh, the context for a discussion with Chris and with Ollie. So the, the young people are gonna provide their context, then put some questions to the panel. We'll open it up to the floor and we'll finish out with the young people, then bringing it together as, as, the, as they are they satisfied with the answers, uh, do we need to do more, uh, is West Lothian doing a great job? Of course it is, but is there more that can be done kind of thing? So, so just and, and part of the purpose of finishing out with the young people is that if we start with it and we end with it, that is the purpose of why we're here in this room, but also the scoping for next year, for the conference next year, we want more voices. We want more action, more integration from uh, the young people and moving on. So just before we kind of get into it, a couple of things just to reflect. Only a couple of weeks ago, in these very buildings, we had the world here talking about climate change and changing the world and everything that was in it. And at the centre of that whole discussion were a bunch of young people sticking it to the world to saying, we don't want any more chat, we want more action. And when those young people kind of organized and activated and and walked through the cities at Glasgow and all across the world, the world listened. And and it's interesting, the theme of this conference is about reconnecting communities, uh, reconnecting learning stronger communities. And so today, what we're going to do is to take exactly the same idea of the young people bringing it through around reconnecting and leading through that. But it's important that we're here and we listen to that voice and move it on. So um, there's... I had a quick chat with William, Jonathan, Gordon, and Ryan. And, and oftentimes, I've done a lot of engagement and consultation and participation and other Asians with people in, in places. And here's what happens sometimes we go in looking for answers for people, but we don't often leave behind something. We don't often ask, What is it that you want from this experience? So, what is it that Jonathan, and William, and Gordon want from this experience? So, I asked them and they said, we want three things from this experience and we want this audience and the audience that isn't here and the audience yesterday and beyond here to think about three things. The first thing that they said is we want to understand why the stuff we're about to present and the experiences we're about to present and the excellent things that have been happening in our schools are not available to all young people in all schools in Scotland. So the first bit that these men, and their peers and their colleagues are asking for is an equity discussion and they're aiming at the room. Second thing eh, that they're asking for is to say that there's a lot of good stuff going on, there's a lot of good things going on, a lot of good people going on, but we're not sharing it enough and we're not using it enough. So the first bit they want is equity and the second bit is is to use spaces like this, conferences like this and things beyond it to share more, to do more. And the third thing that they're very clear on is that we are in the future now. So we need to adapt our spaces. We need to adapt our partnerships. We need to adapt our processes now so that we and the young people have the best chance of the most impact moving on. So three things, equity, sharing, and adapting what we already have. And with that, I'll kind of lead in to uh, the the four gentlemen to kind of present their discussion and we'll engage the conversation. Thank you, sorry. The the order, suppose, is uh, William first, isn't it? Okay, so William, if you go first, and then uh, just follow the line, guys, uh, as you will.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Uh, I'm William. As you know, that's Jonathan, Gordon,
1: and Ryan, towards me to the left. And we are students from West Calder High School in West Lothian. We'd just like to thank you for giving us the opportunity today to speak about our perspective of learning in Scotland in 2021. We have experienced learning in a school built in the 1960s of traditional secondary school layout. Part of the move to our new school, which opened in 2018, was designed with learners and learning at the core. In preparation for today, we spent lots of time thinking about how learning has changed for us and the factors that affected this change. We are now going to show you a short video showing that our school and another school in a cluster is like to learn in.
2: Across the West Calder High School cluster, we have been working collaboratively to ensure that every child can access learning, whether they are in school or having to learn at home.
3: By providing families with internet access and issuing pupils with laptops and tablets, we have been able to deploy a wide range of digital tools
2: to ensure that no child is disadvantaged from our experience in lockdown,
3: we knew that we needed to reduce the number of ways that the young people were accessing materials and submitting work for the assessment. So we settled on three apps PowerPoint, which would be used as a virtual classroom environment, teams for teachers and learners to communicate, collaborate, and live cast lessons with anyone not in the classroom, and one was
0: tablets, webcams and swivel devices to ensure that every young person that is not in a class has the same classroom experience and contact with a practitioner. We've also
4: changed practitioner mindset on digital technology being an add-on and less conversations are taking place about the technology itself and staff are back to focusing on learning, teaching and assessment as it should be. Our pupils are learning, developing, practising, perfecting skills that they'll be able to use throughout their lives in future learning, life and work. The use of teams and seesaw, alongside a range of technological devices, has allowed us to support the development of growing independence in our pupils. They are becoming increasingly able to access and use their own learning. We are providing our pupils with the opportunities and supports that ensure they can take responsibility for their own learning, and that they are developing the necessary confidence and resilience to enable them to make decisions about their learning and how they can use technology to support themselves. The use of technology has also opened up a lot of doors for our learners, but also our staff where they're able to collaborate across the Some examples of peer-to-peer collaboration that have happened in our school recently include some of our Primary 6 learners presenting their work via Teams to another class and having that opportunity for instant peer assessment feedback. Our Primary 7 pupils have also been able to meet with the Primary 1 pupils to read stories and chat about how they've settled into school. Our teachers have been able to set learning and do live meetings with our class, allowing them to have that backward and forward dialogue from any location and we'll even have pupils accessing regular outreach learning for additional supports from specialists that aren't based in our school. Having a standardised approach to using seesaw so in teams in the cluster primaries, as well as the use of teams in the secondary school, will allow ongoing developments, skills progressions, and a successful transition for all our learners.
1: So, since I'm beginning, let me show you a picture of a classroom from Old West Calder High School. Oh dear. Okay, so obviously I've been caught here, and that is not a picture that's been taken any time recently. But in reality, I didn't really need to look too long to find a picture from 2015, because as a matter of fact, not much had actually changed. The way we learned and the way we understood learning had changed significantly over the past few decades, yet why had the environment stayed in the same time bubble as if it wasn't able to escape. Rooms in our school, built in the 60s, had kept the same traditional layout that everyone here should at least recognize. And there was very little room to do anything other than have the teacher stand at the front of the class and have the pupils facing them. There was also an inequitable distribution of resources we could actually see that quite a few classrooms didn't even have the up-to-date 21st, 21st century technology to expect to see from the classrooms. West Lothian had also provided Wi-Fi across every school in that area. And of course this was welcome. We could find that the Wi-Fi was really patchy around the entire school, so having resources, wasn't, having resources and the devices wasn't of much use anyway. The teachers were also in a very difficult position. They had taught the way they had been trained, and most of them taught the same way that they had been taught as well. They knew that this was all they had and had to use the resources to the best of their ability. But before I moved to the new school, in my time, my last two years in the old school, we got a chance to try something new. We knocked down three classrooms in the Modern Languages department into one to build what we called the Inspired Learning Space, where we got to feel what it'd be like to work in a big open area with digital tools and reliable Wi-Fi. So instead of having 30 kids in one room, we had 60, 70, even 80 all in one area. And this really allowed the teachers to open their minds to all the different teaching techniques they could use and let the children figure out how they could work together to make their learning more enjoyable and fun. And we actually loved it. So obviously, the solution here would be, let's just knock down all the classroom walls and boom, there's your problem solved. Presentation over, am I right? But if we think about it, because in reality, it's not as simple as that. Prior to coming to the new school, we continuously gathered data on all the different teaching techniques that was used and all the things that the pupils found really enjoyable being in these spaces. And with well done planning and construction, we were able to build multiple of these areas, called plazas in the new school, to the standards that both teachers and students wanted. So two years later, when we did move into the new school, no time was wasted in, for teachers preparing and planning on how they'd use these areas. Because straight away, they knew how they wanted to use them to, make our, to provide us with the best learning experience possible. Digital learning tools were agreed, and they were used across the school by teachers and pupils. Thank you.
5: Once the year began in the new West Calder High School building, the word school completely changed for West Calder High pupils. Now, although I can't speak for everyone, and indeed, it wasn't everyone who hated the old school, school building, but the general consensus was that it was mundane. Same in, same out. In the new building, the normality of classroom learning was still very much present, as indeed it should be. But school life changed for everyone, staff and pupils alike. Was well, this change solely because of the building itself? I mean, it's a great building with a lot of helpful facilities, but it's still just a building. So what made the difference? We believe that one of the main features that enabled the new newfound success of West Calder High School was abundance of built-in purpose-made spaces that the new building had within it. These ergonomically designed breakout areas molded learning and education into what it now into, it, into what it is now at West Calder High School. These open breakout areas, referred to as plazas, created opportunities within a new school for both pupils and teachers. For example, they afforded everyone the ability to study everywhere and anywhere with PowerPoints and USB points everywhere, fast, fit-for-purpose fit, for Wi-Fi throughout the school, and options for teachers as to where learning could take place, allowing teachers to make the classroom experience more exciting more fun, more engaging, more memorable, and thereby more educational. There are five main plazas situated around the school, along with an abundance of smaller open learning areas. Additionally, there are also a number of other larger facilities, subject-specific, that can also accommodate the superlative style of learning. Fundamental learning is maintained by ensuring lesson material and pupil evidence was easily accessible online. West Calder High School uses Microsoft 365 via Glow. This allowed pupils to learn independently or in groups within these plazas, giving a controlled sense of freedom. For example, Langa's English class utilized these plazas constantly, indeed, unless we were doing a test, which are never fun. The classes were always held in one of these plazas instead of working through questions over and over. There were plenty of group activities, often working with the whiteboard tables, moving around the room, working at different stations for different tasks with different people. This taught us not only what we needed to learn during the class, but also helped develop a whole host of skills that will undoubtedly help us all in later life. Pupils could collaborate, problem solve, help work with others they wouldn't normally work with. They learned how to be a part of and build teams and realize success, developing skills they wouldn't normally have developed. It'd be any. it'd be, <laughs> It would be naive to claim that it was like this for every class straight away. Some teachers, pupils too, took time to adapt to this new teaching style, took time to change and embrace this better way of teaching and learning for pupils. That's not to say, of course, that this style of learning is new, but the new design lends itself to this style of teaching and can be utilized to the utmost by the availability of these plazas. Even the teachers who insisted on still only using classrooms to teach their classes and I'm slowly starting to find out just how indispensable these spaces are. I know from my own experience that I learn better in this environment. I'm more relaxed, I concentrate more easily, I remember more, so I understand more. Notwithstanding the above, each plaza has a designated year group assigned to it during break and lunch times. Each plaza also has a designated staff room adjacent to it, separated by glass walls. This simple design feature encourages good behaviours throughout the school day, engenders a feeling of safety for the more vulnerable younger students, influences future behaviours by controlling current behaviours, and thereby directly impacts on people's value programming. Such a simple design, such a simple influencer, such an ingenious concept to undoubtedly alter innumerable lives for the better. The style of learning most prominent before was just listening to the teacher and copying down notes. Yes, this can help you pass tests and exams, but it does not help with a whole host of skills, and as such, it does not help students when they move on to the real world, as it does not allow for the more holistic learning experience contained within a new style. So to conclude, our new slash current style of learning not only helps students to pass exams, but also helps students to actually understand what they're learning through collaboration with teachers, pupils, encourages problem solving and develop skills they wouldn't normally have been able to. I believe that having all learning available at all times from any device and working in these plazas has done wonders in fixing the way pupils learn, preparing them for the working world later in life. In the video we shared at the start, you will have seen rows of desks in these plazas, which has been the impact of COVID safety measures we're all looking forward to getting back to, the, to being able to work in a much more flexible way again. I wonder what skills you have developed in the last two years of COVID. How have your work, working practices changed? How many of your workforce now work from home? What does the future look like for you? Blended working, reduction in office space. How will you recreate the office energy moving forward? I wonder the challenges we'll face in the next 10. Thank you. So, uh,
6: but by making class materials available through software like 365, it um, allows students to study and learn in the way that best fits them. Um, this allows young people uh, to adapt the way that they learn in every classroom. Um, sorry about this. I'm participating in the lesson and ensure that everyone is catered for regardless of the way that they learn. This improves equity among um, learners as, sorry, by making sure that everyone, sorry got a pop. but every student including those who have additional needs are catered to. So I mentioned it earlier during the panel but certainly in the old school, before we had all our learning and work being digital, if you wanted to use anything like Ivona or if you needed a reader or a scribe or anything like that you had to have a teacher come in um, and sit next to you in the classroom. Now having this new software has meant that oh, people can adapt the lesson to them and sorry so for example I mean, when I was doing my hires last year for the biology I got a reader and scribe in my exams, I'm dyslexic I right? hold up my hands I'm, I got a reader and scribe and I'd never had practice ever using anything like that or using a boner reader or using anything like that so using that in the classroom allowed me to be better equipped for uh, the exam itself and I think it was really crucial to me performing as well as I did uh, This also transferred to different subjects like in English um I also got a writing and that as well and if I didn't have access to that software I don't believe that I'd be able to get the same pass mark as I would now this improves equity among students obviously making sure that every student can be as ambitious as possible because that's what we need if students aren't facilitated then they can't be as ambitious you know um, my next point is the feedback. Now, I'm sure... Because a few of you are teachers here, right? And I'm sure you remember going back and forward from school with carrier bags full of books, you know? Like, marking one bit of work, and you did every student's book, you know, you had to the right page, it takes absolutely ages. You've got to lug it all the way back to work. It takes ages, right? It's really inefficient. But by doing it online, as you'll see in the next slide... So this is Mr. Um, uh, Kellogg. Sorry. Um, and he marks all the maths homework now on a tablet. Now, this is much more efficient for him, which means that he takes less time out of his day, but it also means that you can much more easily refer back to your learning and your homework, because homework's all good and well if you're doing it, but you need to be able to see where you're going wrong. Now, this allows allows for a permanent and better um, organised, sorry, place for you to review your learning, which is obviously crucial to um, uh, predicting grades, something which we really relied on back in 2019. So in 2019, as I'm sure you all know, uh, grades were predicted and I think that if it wasn't for the... Um, sorry. If it, if it wasn't for the... I'm so sorry about this, guys. <laughs> if it wasn't for the um, data that had been collected previously and how well it was organised, then I don't think that they were as accurate as they would have been. So last thing I'm going to talk about so you can all get rid of my, my start then. Um so all modern sorry all these modern modernisations of learning are brilliant, right? But they aren't possible without two key things, right? And that are faces and a fast internet connection, which is now in the slide there. Now these things are in our new building and they're in addition to the new and outdoors sorry. These things are in addition. These things are probably brilliant addition to our school, um, but you don't need a brand new building to have tablets and Wi-Fi. You know, it's very crucial as we have our breakout spaces, which you need an iPad and a laptop to work at, but these things can be very easily integrated into existing buildings. Now, this reduces the need for buildings to be completely demolished and rebuilt, or for anything like that to happen. So it means that we can produce our, um, our footprint by, not upcycling, but doing up new buildings and allowing students to stay where they are, but have a better learning um, environment. Yeah, thank you.
7: All right, so, so faced with COVID and school closures, at West Calder, we kept on learning. Now, why does it take a global pandemic to show schools that everyone needs access to a laptop and access to an internet connection to continue with their learning? How is it fair for students to be limited with their learning based on their financial state if their family cannot afford to buy a laptop for them to use for school? At West Calder, it was ensured that every student had access to a device, a laptop, a tablet, whatever they needed for their learning, as well as access to the internet, not just for the student, but also for their family. So this ensured that the family could continue to work during the pandemic and also ensured students the ability to continue to work. Now our school's quick reaction was very positive for our school's performance, but not every school had these quick reactions. Giving access to internet and devices, which gave students the possibility to both use device for home learning or studying, as well as using it for learning in school. However, why was it took until June 2021 for some students to gain access to a device for their home learning or just learning in school? Yes, we have a manifest commitment towards getting a device to every student, but what are we doing about ensuring a quality internet connection for students to use for using home learning and using Teams, streaming a video call, using OneNote, etc? What has been done to make devices and internet more accessible for those who are less fortunate and people who are struggling to keep the lights on, etc? What are we doing to ensure that pupils who are making the transition into secondary school and moving into college or university have access to these things? So we're working digitally and collaboratively, but even with all our progress with the education system, we still have the same qualification system. We sit down in an exam hall for a few hours, and we sit down and write with a pen or pencil. Yes, that's right, with a pen or pencil. However, we've been using digital devices all over the year. Now, our exam system isn't testing a students' understanding of a certain field. It's just their knowledge and retainment. Why is it that our students are just being judged on their exam results and not their other qualities that, may, that they may have, and these may benefit them a lot more in the real world instead of a letter on a page? Why are we not thinking about the other skills that would allow you to thrive in the world, like public speaking, problem solving, presentation skills, persuasion? Even if someone who is perfectly suited for a course applies for it, they may be overlooked just due to their exam results, even though they will have the skills that they would need to thrive in that field. Surely it would make more sense to actually find a way to value those skills. Surely it makes sense for schools to have more of a choice in how you evidence your understanding of a certain topic or field. Like, for example, a student who works the entire year on a tablet or a laptop, how is it fair that they get forced to sit down an exam hall with a pen and pencil to complete their paper? Doesn't really make sense, does it? Also on the topic of fair assessment, why are we just in our ability to remember, not how we understand or, indeed, problem-solve? Like, We all work together on this presentation in teams. We talked, we commented, we designed, we helped each other. Were we cheating in exam terms? Now, all this can easily be linked to the COVID-19 situation. However, why are we not making use of more open spaces and if available, or moving to implement more open spaces and, and learning areas to blur the lines for teachers and students so that they can make more use of a collaborative environment? We should be pushing both students and teachers to make use of a more collaborative learning approach, as opposed to the set out in rows facing the front in most classrooms. It's 2021, all of our work is done digitally, so why do we still have the same traditional exam method instead of a more modernised exam diet? Now we hope you all got a sense of our experience of, experience of a change in the school building, but also a change in learning and in teaching. We hope you can see it is the access to learning in it, all its forms anytime where that is important. Now onto the big questions. We need consistency of access to learning that we can personalise through access to device and fast internet access. Now, how much is enough when it comes to broadband, speeds, limits, and bandwidth? And how much data should each teacher and learner have in school to make collaboration seamless? Open question to anyone? (laughs) Nope? Okay. Another one, how do we ensure the exams we set and that we're judged on reflect the skills that we have developed? We keep hearing about the skills that we need for work and life now in the, fu- now in the future, but we are not convinced it's truly valued. We have learning, what we have learned in our old school and halfway of the inspired learning space in our new school and we've also learned from home. How do we rethink what we need from the school buildings and learning spaces? Can any building become a school? Old schools, shops, factory units. Do we need to spend millions on building new schools that we, if we could just recycle other buildings? Our school costs 32 million to build, and that's a lot of money. Did we really need to spend all that much when we could have just developed an older building? Thank you.
0: Uh. First of all, eh, I suppose just to extend a, a massive thanks to these gentlemen for standing up. Um, for, <clears throat> there, there are grown ups that come to conferences that feel nervous, and when they present in front of people, they feel nervous and they feel anxious. But sometimes in the middle of it, they forget their key point. And in, in all of what you've said, you never forgot your key points. So, thank you. So, I suppose, uh, just in terms of some reflections on what I've heard from what you said, so I know I'm not trying to uh, paraphrase for you, but what I'm taking from it in our first discussion, you were very clear on three things, and, and you emphasised it in your presentation. The three things were we want more equity for all young people. We want everybody to share the learning of what works, and we want to adapt stuff to make it work. So, they were the things you set out in the front. In your presentations, what I took from it is that that there are three things that you think are important to get that to work. Better internet for everybody, adaptable spaces no matter what, and devices. So there's kind of three bits of stuff, if you like. And then you're also saying is that the stuff is not enough. It's that what you've done in in presenting now, what you've done in the COVID bit, what you've done in the adaptation of of the West Calder bit, is all of that journey, you built different skills. So you want those skills recognized beyond exams. You want the qualities of you as individuals recognized in different ways and validated in different ways. And to Gordon's point, you want to to be supported to be ambitious in it. So those three things around equity sharing and adapting, that's that's your overall ambition. Then the, the stuff is spaces, devices, and internet. And then the skills, qualities, ambitions. So I'm going to put that with your questions, the questions so I got it here is the consistency of access to, the, to learning and the infrastructure, exams reflecting and then learning beyond the school. So I'd like to put that to our two gentlemen, learners as they are and leaders as they are and the end to first of all uh, provide us with your reflections on what the young people have said. So not to answer things, but what have you taken from what these four gentlemen have said? And if we could start with Ollie, please.
3: I mean, I, I took a huge amount from what you, from what you said and actually um, feel incredibly enthused by it in, in many ways and probably be asking to sort of borrow your slides for other, other, other presentations as, as part of it. Um, maybe just pick up a couple of things, if, I, if, I, if that's okay, just in terms of reflection. So in terms of sort of presentation one, you know, one of the things that I was really, really pleased to kind of see was um, the focus around the cluster of schools. So it's not just sort of schools working in isolation. It's not just about the secondary school. It's not just about the individual primary schools, but it's about that learning community, to use your words around that, and how do we make sure that we've got the, the consistency you know, and the continuity sort of going forward as well. Um, I was also really, really taken by the, by the video um, around the kind of the messiness of the learning because learning is messy, isn't it, really, around that? Do you remember that, that lovely bit in the video where there's a little girl and uh, she's got the, 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 the tablet and she's got a, what looked like a worksheet and a, and a, and a pen and a, and a pencil case and there was lots of stuff going on? And dare I even say it, because it's been in the news recently, but I think she had a pepper Pig pencil sharpener as well as part of that, although I probably shouldn't mention that around that. I liked all of that. I thought that was really, really good. Um, I really liked it, but the second, second part around the, the, the prototyping of learning spaces around that. And in fact, we should be prototyping learning generally. That's that whole part of the iteration process. I'd call it the creative learning spiral. Like I could talk a lot about creativity, the development of creativity, which is, of course, an important skill that you want to be assessed on sort of late, later on. But that that notion of how do we prepare not just learners, but but teachers to be able to teach in a different way and for learners to be able to learn in a different way through safe spaces where people can make mistakes for short periods of time and then come back and reflect on that. Um, And we see that really, really working well in different parts of Scotland and different parts of the the world, but the key key for that, of course, is giving it enough time, enough lead-in time to do that and allow people to make mistakes and allow people to to, to reflect on it a little bit more. I, I really... I really liked what you were talking about in terms of the sort of the learning plazas around collaboration. Um, and and I, li- I like the kind of subtle reference in there that I think I was getting because, of course, when I think we think about collaboration in schools, we think about children working together or young people working together in groups. You, 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 you were talking about, you know, quite forcefully actually about young people and adults working together to collaborate and to create new knowledge around that. And that's such an important thing you know, going forward and something that we need more, more, more of. Uh, and that, for me, you know, sends really really strong messages about the culture that's built up in the school around the learning places you know around the 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 the, the, the pedagogy i love the passion of presentation three like around that like i like a gen, i genuinely did like in terms of what you say, what you're saying that as well uh i was diagnosed with dyslexia at school so i know what that's like you know around that and getting getting part of that and it was a te- it was technology and assistive technology at the time that really i guess like helped me be able to access the tools and services and, and boy A lot of the time, I wish I was at school now with some of these other tools and services that we've got, which, again, to sort of use your words, use the words, is use the technology to be able to, for young people to be able to facilitate, for young people to be able to self-regulate their own learning, you know, around that, so they can be more ambitious than they've ever been before. And that, for me, is a very, very powerful statement sort of coming through. We want to sort of think about a little bit more. And that notion of devices and fast internet connections, I don't know how, how much connectivity we need per school. What I will say is that I think it's a little bit of a disaster that still sometimes when we're thinking about connectivity in schools, we say, well, the primary school gets this amount and the secondary school gets about this amount. And we don't take into account actually how many young people are in the schools around that or the activities that young people are doing in. And we don't always kind of sit back and sort of think, well, if we're using this much bandwidth now, how much are we going to be using in four years' time, in five years' time, in six years' time? And to me, it always seems that we're kind of future-proofing for yesterday, like rather than the actual sort of future around that. So how do we get better at that sort of moving forward? I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. Um, and in, in terms of the sort of the fourth, fourth presentation, and, and, and Chris turned to me during that, I don't know, if, don't know if you heard him, but he basically kind of said that you can answer all the difficult questions about assessments, so thanks very much, Chris, you know, for, for that, I appreciate, yeah, appreciate the sort welcome. of te- the teamwork there, and maybe <laughs> right. kind of get onto that in, 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 in a minute. But maybe just to provide a, a bit of reassurance around the manifesto commitment of the, of the device, we've got to get that right, like we've got, we've got to get that right, we've, and there's been various discussions about that today. It is a manifesto commitment around devices and infrastructure, I think that's important. In any of this, we can't forget the subtleties within this around that. How do we charge these devices? We've talked a little bit about equity in terms of devices, but there's also equity in terms of electricity, equity in terms of bandwidth, speed, and data at home around this in terms of updates and making all that work. And all of this needs to kind of be built into this thing, which is incredibly complicated, you know, but also um, you know, incredibly important as well. And um, I'll kind of stop there with some reflections, but I'll maybe pick up the assessment questions in a, in a, in a minute if there's a chance to do that.
0: Brilliant, okay, thanks, sorry And uh, I've written it down, so we'll be coming back to that as well, so <laughs> <laughs> Chris.
3: Yeah,
8: um, so I, uh, where, where to begin? So. Um, Thank you very much. It was great to hear from all of you, and I, I love the thought and um, preparation that you put into it. Um, I'll, I'll only kind of comment on a few different bits. I, I, I loved the fact that equity is just such a strong theme through everything that you talked about. Um, and it strikes me that, actually, whenever we talk to people at school, equity is a big part of how they think about the world. And it's just a natural default expectation that you all have. That we all need to remember and make sure that we 're honoring and, and supporting and enabling that in every way um, i 'll jump sort of much later and say one of those areas is about making sure that things are accessible and inclusive by default Some of that is technology and supporting people with dyslexia and other learning needs Some of it is space. I actually love the architectural element of having a staff room with a window that looks over your learning passes like transparency as a way of being compliant and sharing and being open, I think, is, a, is an important principle in lots of different ways. But that kind of uh, connection between those two rooms was really striking to me. Um, I loved the inspired learning environment. I thought the fact that you tried something as an, ad- an advance of what you were going to get in the new school was awesome. And I loved the, you know, I think you know, Ollie and I before were talking, and the idea that sometimes these challenges all feel so big, so we don't do anything. And instead, there's a question as to what could we do on Monday that takes us a step in the right direction, or try something that might not work that we can rule out for later. But doing nothing is the wrong answer. So how do we start taking steps? And I, and I love that inspired learning environment as taking a step to try something that maybe prepared you better for the spaces that you were going to get. Um, and then probably the last thing that I'll comment on was is the kind of the connection of sort of skills and qualifications and learning things for life versus learning things for exams and how do you assess those and how are they valuable and um, I did sort of suggest that those were questions for Ollie rather than for me um, because I think there's a lot of but this is a big you know part of the role of education and policy and assessment and into workforce and things like that I think the thing that I would say as a as a comment to all of you is no matter how it gets assessed those skills are going to stand you in good stead when throughout your life. Um, and so, learning them at school and building confidence in, in them, and you know, trying them and, and trying on different experiences is going to help you no know, matter what you do. So, whether they're part of your exam or not, they're still incredibly valuable and will help you um, in the long run. So, I'll probably stop there and hand it back to okay. you.
0: Okay, brilliant. All right. So, and thanks very so much. And we'll engage with the audience as well in a second. But if these young people were writing a brief for investment in learning estate, for example, they've just given us one, I think, and they've stress tested it with said leaders over here. So um, it seems to me that that brief has equity at the heart. So they're saying, whatever you do with the cash, whatever you do with the space, whatever you do with the folk, your main test, is is it equitable? So that's your core, everything. Spanners, screwdrivers, everything. Everything is about that. But around that, it seems that they're saying the brief is about think about the cluster and the learning community as much as the facility. So they're thinking about beyond the, the facility. They're also saying that within that, you need to think about the infrastructure, the costing, uh, how much broadband we get in the primary, the secondary, all of it. So that may not be necessarily within the brief for the learning thing, but someone needs to talk about the pipe giving us the infrastructure. They're also saying that along that journey, we need to try out the new ways of doing it before we do the new ways of doing it. And that's as much for teachers as it is for learners. And part of that is around observing the messiness of what actually goes on when learning happens. And that they've also said that we want collaboration, which isn't just a bunch of kids around a table. It's young people with older people, with adults, with whatever, moving around. And overarching that seems to be two fundamental principles. One is transparency. So we need to see what's going on, when it's going on, who's doing it across the bit, whether we're at home or in school or wherever. And second is, is, is that we need learning for life. So everything is about learning for life. So so with your information, there's the kind of, I think what we're taking from you is, 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 a, is a, an investment brief for learning estates. So if I could then go back to um, Ollie and Chris, if you don't mind, and I'm gonna take Ryan's provocation. So in, in the heart of your provocation, you talked about how much it cost to build West Calder. And you also talked about the experiences and you talked about all of the kind of bits But you said, did we really need to spend 30 million to achieve all of these things? So I'm just going to go back over the the investment brief that these young people have just given us. They've said that the investment brief should be about equity at the heart. It should be transparency all over it. It should be about learning for life. Think cluster, think prototyping, do collaboration, build infrastructure. And do we need to spend 30 million every time we do it, Chris?
8: Of course, there's no real answer to the question, right? But I think it's a really good a provocation to say, do we have to do it in that way? I think, as we think about, I mean, I, I, one of the themes that I think we've touched on quite a lot today is that physical environment really matters. And I think you even reflect that as to say, you know, how this building feels, and people have talked about, you know, corridors and dark spaces versus light and open spaces. And so I think the space does matter, and I think we do still need to invest in real estate to create those learning spaces but I also think that we have to think about it a little bit more like a system and say, you know, what do we learn in different places that we apply to those building projects? What do those building projects then pay forwards that can be replicated without needing to spend another 30 million? And honestly, I, like, the question that you asked that I think is a phenomenal question is, what about all of the empty spaces that are springing up in town centers, city centers, that maybe retail space is not gonna be used in that way? How do we use that? I have no idea what the answer is to that, but I think it's a really fascinating question to say, here's a big open space that is currently, you know, a blot on our our town because it's just a boarded up, you know, old BHS, can we have it? Can we have it for a period of time? Can we have it forever? Can we make it into a space that we can use in different ways? That, I think, is a really interesting question to say, does it need to be a purpose-built site? Does it sit along a purpose-built site? You know, what are all the requirements that you want in a successful, you know, education environment? But I think that's a really good question for us you know, to, to generally be considered as to that reuse of building space in the heart of towns and cities rather
0: than building a new school. Brilliant, thanks very much. And, and so that idea of think system, but almost collaborative spaces in collaborative places so I kind of make everything available for learning all the time. So Ollie, just a, a similar kind of reflections for yourself.
3: So, so my, my, my question would be, um, you, you spend the 30 million where you're gonna have the most impact ar- around that. And um, and that might be on a on a on a new school making that work. That might be kind of repurposing existing learning spaces. But um, for me, it's about where are you going to actually have the most impact over the, the medium to long term around that, not just in the short term. And I think that bit is important around around that as well. Um, and, and I think I think sometimes you know we, we we take a view of the short term with sort of building projects. We we're having a the conversation earlier around a, you know a, a build a build project. Not too far from from your from your school, you know, which is repurposing a a listed building as part of it. Now it's it's going to it's going to cost more, but actually in the in the medium to long term it's going to cost less because there's nothing you can do with that listed bu- building apart from keep it watertight and keep it you know and, and keep it safe and all those sorts of things. So over over a longer period of time it's going to cost more. Um, and this is sort of something which is sort of like quite close to my heart, bearing in mind that I was head teacher of a school and I inherited it, and it just had. £7 million spent on a new extension, but, but 80% of the kids didn't live in that town anymore. But the school was still there because that's where it had always been over that period of time. And in fact, out of that 80% of school who didn't live in the town, 70% of the kids were bust in from one place. And when I think back now about that, in terms of the environment and the amount of double-deckers that were coming in at night and through the snow and all those sorts of things, was that a good investment? I don't think it was. It was just because the school had already been there as a result of it. But at the time, whoever made those decisions, which I'm sure made for the right reasons, and I wasn't involved in that, were unable to kind of shift that culture around the fact that the school was already there and it always kind of had to be there you know, as, a, as a result of it. So for me, this is really sort of thinking about where are we going to get the most return for our investment. And sometimes things do cost a little bit more, but if it saves it in the short to medium term. And sometimes we're just talking about a year or two years here. We're not talking about decades, decades away. And we've got to be clever about that, sort of going forward. Like we, re- we, re- we really have.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so uh, just kind of bringing it together, and I'm going to o- engage the audience as well. So uh, our young people said, you know, our, our paraphrasing our kind of brief that we're developing, equity at the heart, uh, the transparency, so we see what's happening, where it's happening, and learning for life. And then uh, we're we're saying that to achieve that, we should be looking at kind of the system of things, the collaborative places, and also invest for impact. So. Could I open it to the floor to either respond to that or bring a challenge in to what we said? So, we're saying investment has the most impact, look across all of the things, and then respond to what the young people are saying. So, any reflections, questions, or challenge before I pick on someone?
2: <laughs> Sam. Hi, thanks very much, by the way. Um, what really struck me, and you know, people in this place know I'm kind of obsessive about place and the wider, the wider story. Um, but as you were talking, what really struck me was, you know, I go to similar setups around health or economy or whatever, and younger people have incredible insight and clarity and consistency about what is happening, what's the truth about their place, and bring that truth to power. And we cheat we it in silos. So we have this session and we talk about, what does this mean for schools? But for me, the big message is what does it mean for West Calder? What does it mean for the local authority? What does it mean for all the service facilities? So when you leave this, the school gates of this wonderful facility, what's West Calder like? You know, how does equity play through an in investment in the town? How does it play through in the town centre and transport and broadband and housing? Now, this is not just to make the problem so so big it's difficult. This is just saying, can we please listen to the voices of people who live in places Outside the organisational silos, we put them in because it's easier to cope with. That's the point. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Okay, beyond silos, anyone else, Angeline,
0: <laughs> or anyone? No, it's okay. anyone else to kind of bring? In? If if not, would it would it would you mind, uh, guys, just kind of tell me what what you're thinking around? So, uh, Ollie and and Chris are saying that we should try and make places more collaborative. So we should use what space we have to build on your propagation, Ryan, and also we should put the money where it has the most impact. So if you could think about those two things, what would you do, Gordon, what would you do to, uh, to have the most impact? So, uh, or, or whoever you want to respond. So those two things, making more of what we already have and, and, and where we will put the money for the most impact.
6: The investment in the school wasn't just uh, for the kids who go to it. Yes, there are like, I think it's- just under a thousand kids at the school who are being impacted by this um, grant. But it's also West Calder and Pobeth, both towns which are basically one town at this point. Um, So the new school has caused, I think it's four new housing projects to spring up. So there's like two at the back, one another one in Pobeth. There's two where the whole high school used to be. So that's brought a lot of new people to the village. And I think that it's also brought a investment as well, so we're getting things like skate parks. So it's always been a bit I think of a catalyst to, to the local area. And it's meant that companies and people are more excited about investing in the area. So we have things like we get like um, some larger companies, we have like a subway, things like that. It's turning West Calder, yes, it is a town, but it's becoming more city. Not yeah. mm-hmm. It's not city yet, but it's gone from a village to more a town if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so is that right, yeah?
0: OK. Anyone else want to respond to that? You OK? Anyone else? No. OK. Well, I suppose just kind of bringing it then maybe towards the, the, towards the conclusion. So we've kind of got this idea of a brief from the young people. We've got then from, from Ollie and from Chris the idea of the collaborative system approach and also the impact for uh, invest for impact. So maybe if we could then just finally touch on that issue of the assessment, Ollie, you know, and, and all those kind of bits. In this world that, that the young people are kind of painting here, there might be different learning happening in different places, in different ways, and that makes some people anxious. So maybe just kind of pick up on some of that. Can it be done?
3: So, so, so it absolutely can be done. And, it, and in fact, there are many parts of the world that do that quite well. <laughs> um, what, what we, um, the, 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 the bit that we sort of need to challenge in Scotland is just. Um, I guess some of our in, in, entrenched cultural beliefs about what we mean by assessment in particular kind of high stakes assessment and how that, and, and, how, and how that and how that works um, and uh, may, maybe just give some some examples about that or what that, what that might look like so one, one of the examples might be is I think that the assessment of skills is a really really kind of interesting thing around that, around that. yet we wouldn't necessarily want you know young people leaving school saying you're creative level one or level two or level three because that 's got disadvantages with that, with that as well but to, but to recognize experiences that young people have been on. For example, speaking at a national conference, that should be recognized somewhere in terms of achieve, achievement, perhaps through a, a series of micro-credentials where a whole suite of these experiences make up either a qualification or a qualification suite. And again, we see that you know, being, done, um, be, be, being done elsewhere. The, the other bit I think is interesting is around that kind of like high-stakes assessment and, and you know, one of the provocations from the young people is, well. I spend my whole life kind of typing or speaking into my device and, and doing that, yet." Yeah. You know, when I come to do my, my higher PE, I have to sit there for two hours and 45 minutes writing by hand to do that in the, in the longest exam other than English. Yet, when I've done my national five PE, there's no written exam at all. And it kind of doesn't make sense, like in a lot of ways around that. So how do we get around that? So there's no doubt that, that digital has got a role in that. There's no doubt that, that probably revisiting ongoing assessment, which is kind of less high stakes at different times, is, is, is part of that assessment. at The point of need is, is part of that. But I suppose a, a sort of provocation back, and a provocation back to kind of schools within, within, within the audience, is that let's take higher, at the moment, like higher level, which many of you would, would, be, in, would be involved in, at level six on the Scottish Cureletic Qu- Qualification Framework level six. This is how sad I am a bit. I'm not very fun at parties. There are 34 hires that are available in Scotland ar- ar- around that. Interesting to think about how many are on the suite within your own school around that. Um, There are over 700 awards at SCQF level 6 around that. And many schools are doing these other awards now as a result of that because they offer alternative approaches to assessment in the form of coursework, in the form of work experience, in the form of recognition, in the form of internal assessment, which still also lead on to different progression, progression frameworks around that. So actually, there are some of the nuts and bolts that are in places here around that, but it just happens at the moment in schools. We're very, very obsessed with national fives, hires and advanced hires as a result of that, yet yeah, that suite of qualifications is starting to change you know, o- over time. So I'm, I'm hopeful that with the kind of curriculum reform, that will bring with it an assessment reform as well, and I think that will be sort of quite useful. And, and my sort of, sort of final point on that, and I've been saying this a lot just recently, just to make sure that we understand that, is there's a, a lot of talk at the moment about making sure that assessment or, or examinations don't drive the curriculum. So let's just sort of think about what that means. It means that the curriculum has got to drive assessment. Let's just sort of think that through a second. What that actually means is the pedagogy has got to drive the assessment approach. So to come back to my kind of PE example in, in, in that, if your exam, if your if your examination, if, if 50% or 60% for examination is a two-hour and 45-minute written exam, that's going to drive the pedagogy, isn't it? Right. So actually, how do we want kids to learn PE around that? If we drive the pedagogy around that and get the pedagogy right. Then we can start to imagine what the assessment might be. Now that might look different to maths, and that might look different to drama and different to home economics and all these sorts of things, but that's okay. Because as we go into this kind of next assessment reform, we can't say that actually the way to assess subjects is the same way as in sitting in an example and doing it in the same way. It's got to be driven by the pedagogy and the way that kids learn, you know, rather than the, the other way around. And that's what I really think that means. But I also think that's kind of misunderstood in the debate some of the time.
0: Brilliant. Thanks so much, Ollie. And so the uh, last question to Chris, and then I'll just finish out with the young people. I was really struck, Chris, by uh, a couple of things that you had said in your presentation and also in our chat about how change happens. And sometimes we look at big shiny stuff, and you referenced it in your presentation about, we could talk all day about AI, but we need to, to make the first start now. So, so what, what are, is going through your mind around some of the immediate first starts we could make around you know, some of the work that Ollie has just laid out, but also the young people, um, around that equity and device bit. So the, the first start now for radical change, but it might look quite ordinary.
8: Yeah, definitely see that there's this um, sort of uh, tension that exists between, we know we want to go somewhere exciting and new, but that's scary and hard and so we'll just stay here. And instead saying, what's the one thing that we can do on Monday that helps us move in that direction? Um, what that one thing is might vary quite a lot by school, depends where you are, depends on the destination you want to get to. But I think there are some pretty, pretty good, simple steps. Thinking about CPD for staff. How are we gonna do this differently next week? Let's do that all together, let's do 20 minutes and then let's implement that this week and then next week we'll do another 20 minutes. That's not a big commitment and yet those 20 minutes add up pretty fast. I think you know, building on some of the comments that Ollie just made, it could be looking at how do we augment our academic curriculum with other life skills and qualifications, certifications that are going to enrich the experience and qualifications for life that our students have. Like, what's the one thing that we might do in that regard that moves us in a way of being able to offer a range of experiences that do give people skills and qualifications that then help them go out into the world and be successful? You know, so those are two quite bite-sized things that move you in the right direction, don't sound exciting, and yet when you get them right, or even half right, to be honest, um, you can have quite a dramatic impact on the people that, that you, you affect. And even if it doesn't go that well, like learning and going again, that's like a core life skill. (laughs) Just kind of being knocked down, getting back up again and going again, like that's a a habit that we all need to build because the world changes pretty fast and we have to get good at that, give it a try, learn, adapt, let's go again. And I think that kind of behavior is at at its heart.
0: Brilliant, and I suppose that brings us back to the beginning when the young people said the three things we're after are equity, sharing of the learning, bite-size accessible stuff across the bits, and also adapting what we have Either the assessment framework, or the spaces, or the infrastructure to kind of to develop on the future. So I'm going to leave the last word to William, Jonathan, uh, Gordon, and Ryan. Um, this conference happens every year, and every year there's a group that kind of talks through what we should do, and then you know all of these people, the exhibitors, the people kind of come together. So what would you, what would you ask of this conference for next year? What what should we think about next year? You know they'll design the program and they'll design all of that kind of stuff. But based on what you've said and what you've heard, what, what would you like this group to really focus on in the conference next year? Just while the guys are... Uh, and not, not don't take, take your time, I'm not hurrying at all. Uh, it's just, uh, I suppose, kind of some housekeeping just to kind of finish out. So the first housekeeping is to thank the young people, but also Elaine and Laura for all the guidance and support you've given. Um, I think they've been fantastic ambassadors for their communities and families, so it's been, been fantastic. Uh, secondly, to thank you for staying and participating, but also the exhibitors, uh, everybody at the dinner, the whole kind of bit, and, and also uh, the government and everyone to kind of move it around. So just to say a huge thanks from everybody, and particularly for the year that it's in, um, there will be a conference next year. There is a challenge then to kind of consider how we take the learning from year to year and move it on. So your feedback is welcome, what you've taken from it, what we think we should improve, and how we should move it on would be really great. So, So with that, guys, if I could... If I could bring it back to yourselves, it's collaboration and action. This is kind of, it's the West, uh, West Lothian way, you know, uh, kind of thing. So uh, I can tell some jokes, if that would be helpful. <laughs> but just to kind of build on one of the things that Chris was talking about, um, the, the Design Museum in London has an exhibition about the history of design and the transformation it had and all the, fair, you know, steam engines, all that kind of stuff. and that exhibition says the most radical intervention the most radical design intervention ever was a pen because when the pen was designed the borrow was designed it democratized the access to knowledge you didn't have to be a monk you didn't have to be a specialist you didn't have to be a politician you just needed to be able to access this thing which meant kids from poor areas could write which meant women could articulate which meant migrants could communicate. So the one thing that transformed the whole of the world was this small piece of plastic. And I suppose that goes to the point that Ollie and Chris have been talking about, that when we're looking at big transformational change, we've looked at West Calder and fantastic it is, but we also need to think about the small incremental stuff that can scale across communities, across schools, across clusters to democratise and open up, to give the equity, to give the sharing and to give the adaptation that the guys have laid out. So with that, has the panel concluded the deliberations? Would you like to just kind of, what, what is it that you'd like to say the conference do?
1: So basically, we, we thought that, um, so all the teachers are currently, because West Westcott High School isn't the only school with teachers who know how to teach in the new teaching style. So we thought that it won't, it might not be possible to have it done by next year, but. The new teaching techniques, all this data should be gathered and basically for all the current teachers who've never been able to experience and for all the new teachers planning on becoming teachers, we should allow a new training method with all this data gathered, if that makes sense, like
6: so teaching from, teach the new
1: style. Yeah, so from the current teachers who know how to uh, know how to teach like this these new, big open areas, we should,
5: we should, like, teachers should be able to, be able to utilize these open areas, so they can teach them, they can use this new style of learning, so um, so we can move on from the way teachers have always taught before, because it doesn't work, It it can pass exams, but we, it doesn't help with anything else, like, this style of learning, if teachers are taught to teach this way, they can help people understand more and do better later in life. So, like, although they might not have these spaces to teach in,
1: if they're still taught to teach this different way, then maybe they can implement it to the best of their ability in the area they they have to work in.
6: And also to allow every child to have both a device and internet connection, both in the school and at home, because you can't work at home if you've got a device to in the internet, you know you can't submit your homework if you're at home and you've not got internet. You can't do a UCAS form if you're at home and you've not got internet. You need internet. It's crucial to learning. Simple as.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so uh, in a very powerful kind of end, bit, it's about help the teachers, and also make the internet more available to everybody. So I think we can definitely take those two things on, gentlemen, uh, and also uh, ladies from West Calder and West Caledon. Could I ask you just to kind of extend our huge thanks to to everybody on the panel. And and, and also for the the, the school leadership and the colleagues and everybody that's come. So with that, it's just a a final thank you very much. Safe home and see you next year. Thank you.